We're glad to welcome you back to Broadcaster Hour. We know it's been a little bit of a hiatus, but that means Kyle and I have been working a lot. This is Roger Hoover with you in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. We are joined by Kyle Crooks, of course, from Gainesville, Florida. And then from New York City, although it looks a lot like Seattle, we're joined by the play-by-play voice on television for the Seattle Mariners, among many other outlets, Dave Sims, who joins us now. Great to see you, Dave. How's everything going? Kyle and Roger, good to be with you guys. Uh, a little snowy up here in Manhattan. Uh, we got eight inches in, uh, in Manhattan. Other areas in Long Island got hammered pretty good. Um, our boys up in New England took a beating, but it's all good. It's all good. So you, you go from one cold side of the country to the other in, in Seattle, but uh, so you're always in cold. You, you never really get a good time of the year, besides the summer, obviously. But Born and raised in Philly. Come on. We grew yeah. up in Philly. You know that. Come on. Yeah, I know. I'm a, uh, I'm a Jersey guy, but, you know, I, the snow is just no good nowadays. You still like the snow, Dave? Uh, no, I don't. And yeah. I, like I stayed in, I was going to go to the Rangers cracking game the other yesterday. And I said, nah, I don't think so. Um, you know, it's, uh, yeah, the Seattle weather, they had a bad month of December, but generally it's going to be in the forties, uh, in the wintertime, no snow. Of course here, you know, we've had minus one, but it is what it is. Uh, you know, and I get the family's good. You know, a lot of circumstances are working out. So it's no big deal. And uh, right now I'm doing a lot of hoops and I saw you the other day with, with Raph and, and we were talking before we came on, just kind of what a, a journey is like, you know, a broadcast with, with Raph and it's kind of on my bucket list. I know I'm sure it's on Rogers too, to work a game with Bill Rafferty. What's that like, you know, what's, what's kind of knowing him and, and on the air, off the air type deal. Well, you know, it's funny. I go back with Raph. Oh goodness. He got to say, he was at Seton Hall, what, 1979 to, I forget the, the exact number. No, 70 to 81. That's what it was, 70 to 81. So when I was a newspaper writer at the New York Daily News, I was a college sports uh, reporter. That was my beat, college sports. And got to know him then. And there was a time where I used to host, the, was it the Metropolitan Basketball Writers Association during hoop season, college hoop season, we'd have uh, luncheons, weekly luncheons, probably right before Christmas through the, through the final four at the late and lamented Mama Leone's restaurant just off 8th Avenue, 49th Street, 48th Street. And it was a who's who of the local guys. We had Luke Carnesecca, P.J. Carlissimo was at Wagner. Raph was at Seton Hall. Tom Penders was at that time, was at Fordham or Columbia and route to Fordham. Uh, and a few other guys. Anyway, it, it turned out it would be, it would almost be like a comic roast because we, and Krzyzewski was an army. That's what it was. And uh, we'd ask the guys to come up and, you know, notes, quotes, anecdotes, that whole thing. And when Raph would get up, it would be like comedy. I would be like a Dangerfields club. And he's just naturally hilarious. He's got a magnetic personality. Uh, matter of fact, the other day, the game we did last Monday, uh, that was uh, Seton Hall. Was that Seton Hall, St. John's? I think it was. And it was the anniversary of send it in, Jerome. The game at Pitt. And he said, you know what? Funny you guys ran that. He said, I got a call from Sean Miller today. He says, it was all about the assist, Raph. It was all about the assist. Hey, Raph's a good guy. When You know, the other day uh, at Walsh Gym, a week ago today, I saw him coming through the, the door, and it took him a good 20 minutes to get to the scores, to, to the broadcast booth. And I said, when he finally got there, I said, we should introduce you the way Carson used to introduce Don Rickles. Da, 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 da. 
you know, the whole thing. He's the best. He, I've worked with like a hundred guys, football, baseball, basketball, sumo wrestling, boxing. He's the best guy. Um, prepared up the wazoo. The, huma the humanity of the man is off the chart. And, you know, he's not an assassin. I mean, guys have bad games. He points it out why. And he brings, a, you know, just the jovial nature. And, and I've had friends and, and people, uh, people online that I know, but a lot of my friends have called up and says, the only thing you guys were missing was a can of Schaefer beer, which is, that's dating myself and dating all of us, but a can of Schaefer beer. Sound like you were at the bar. I said, that's the ultimate compliment. That's what you're shooting for. That's what, you, and that's what, that's who Raph is. Raph is. He's the best. Yeah, do you go into those games, Roger, sorry, one more, but do you go into those games just kind of with the idea that it's going to be more conversational depending on who you have as your analyst? Like, you know, Raph's going to be next to me. We're going to have a good time. It's maybe not going to sound the same as, as other broadcasters, as working with other analysts as it is with Raph, it's just going to be a different sound. You, you kind well, of know that going in, right? We did hundreds, I won't say hundreds, but we did dozens of games in the early 90s. We used to do the, the Metro Atlantic uh, uh, Conference Tournament. We did that for like three, four straight years up in Albany, New York. Did a lot of uh, Big East games, you know, Seton Hall, St. John's, Rutgers, you know, Providence with Raph. Uh, and ditto Jim Spinarkle. So every time, we, every year we start the year, matter of fact, I did it a couple of weeks ago. You know, hi, everybody. Welcome to Wells Fargo Arena. Dave Sims with Jim Spinarco. We got the band back together again. Let's do it. And, you know, it's the same thing with Jim. Very conversational. It's very matter of fact. Um, and and I, I, I like that. I, I like, you know, I, you know I, I get fired up at the right moment. You know, you, you play the game as it comes. But all in all, the fact that we know each other for so long, and I hadn't done a game with Jim in two years, and it felt like we had left each other two minutes ago. Same with Raph. Those are the, those are the kind of guys that get it. They're they're comfortable in their own skin, who they are, what they're trying to accomplish. They both come prepared. Jimmy's high, I, you know, for basketball. I mean, Raph, uh, Jimmy, um, uh, Jay Billis, they're so good to work with. It's unbelievable. And it's just, and it, you know, I just do nuts and bolts or tee them up. And and I and a lot of times you don't even have to tee them up. I mean, because it, and the thing, and one of the many things I like about all three of those guys, they'll first guess, anybody can second, third guess, but they'll first guess and get it right more often than not. And a lot of guys don't have the courage to do that. Yeah, and as we start to take a look at the journey of your career and the career arc that you've had, are you just proud just overall of all the different sports you've gotten to work with, all the different mediums? You started out in newspapers, and then that's led to just so many different experiences for you. As you take kind of a global view of everything you've been able to do over your career, are you most proud of that, that you have been able to kind of dip your toes in the waters of so many different areas of sports? Casting? I must be doing something right because when I do interviews, podcasts, radio shows, I've got enough on the ledger that people are fascinated by it. So I'd answer your question, yes, I mean, it. The fact that I've been around and been able to do all this stuff. I mean, you know, newspaper uh, writer, uh, reporter, columnist, uh, sports anchor at Satellite News Channel, which is now Headline News, sports producer at NBC Philly, fill-in anchor, talk show host at WNBC, WFAN, MSG. A lot of that, well, the MSG and NBC was concurrent. And then play-by-play -play at Temple, which led to ESPN, which led to Westwood One. Uh, I did Channel 2. I did CBS flagship here in New York for three years. Uh, Tampa Bay Bucks preseason for five years. 
uh, and then, you know, in 06, the big one, after a couple of near misses with some baseball teams, they, I got a baseball team in 07. You know, at, at age, you know, I was, I was in my mid-50s, and, you know, in the history of broadcasting, I'm only like the fourth or fifth African-American to have his own team in Major League Baseball. Bill White was uh, like 99% sure Bill White was the first. Matter of fact, he had his birthday the other day. Uh, he and Paul Olden, who's the PA announcer at Yankee Stadium, Paulie had uh, at Cleveland Radio and at Tampa Bay TV. Greg Gumbel did MSG TV, did the Yankees, uh, and then me. And then when you look at the non-former player division, you know, in, in terms of black guys doing Major League Baseball play-by-play, -play, it's me, Paul Olden, and uh, Greg Gumbel. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, and as you know, the numbers of black players just – five, six, seven percent right now, as opposed to 18, 19 percent back in the 70s. So, you know, I when I go to ballpark, I don't see too many people that look like me. But, you know, I, I love what I do. I love baseball. It's my first love of all sports. My first love date back. I was like, yo, big. So looking at that as well, just who were your role models? Who were the people you were starting to look up to, even though there weren't that many black play by play now? Yeah. you could look up to who were some of the sparks. Oh, for you to oh, get into so history? many. Yeah. In Philly. Bill Campbell, who did everything. I, my, I think my first recollection of him was doing the Eagles 1960 championship win over Green Bay, Lombardi's only playoff loss. Um, and he did, he did, he did the Eagles, then moved over to this, the, the, the Phillies and then the Sixers. Byron Sum was in the Baseball Hall of Fame. He did a lot of losing baseball at the A's and the Phillies. Uh, obviously, Harry Callis, Richie Ashburn. Then nationally, we talked before we started recording, Lindsey Nelson, Jim Simpson, I got to work with Charlie Jones, Joe Garagiola, I got to meet him, obviously Mr. Scully, Dick Enberg. I mean, I can go right down the list. There's so many guys. Marv Albert has been a huge help to me uh, and an inspiration. Marty Glickman was, is, you know, the rabbi, the godfather of New York broadcasters. And I got, I got tutored under him uh, when he was, the uh, broadcast annou uh, announcing coach for MSG and NBC in mid eighties when I was at both places. So, I mean, that was like getting a postgraduate degree. So yeah, it's, it's, those are, those are, you know, I probably could name 10 more, but I'll stop there. As one of the veterans of major league baseball now and broadcasting, do, do you like when the younger guys come up to you and some of the up and coming guys come over from the other booth to, to talk to you and, you know, share, share wisdom, how much, you know, Dave, are, are you listening to other guys and, still kind of taking other things from other broadcasts and still taking in wisdom from other people. Yeah. You know, I hear most of the guys on quick pitch, to be honest with you. You know, I come home um, after games, particularly these last two years where we, we weren't on the road. So if I didn't watch quick pitch right after the game, usually I'm baseballed out by that time. I used to watch my friend, uh, Brian Williams on MSNBC. That's why I watched it sort of like go the other way and like clear the head out. And I, would, and I would watch it the next day and next morning. But I, I love hearing all the different styles and everything. And I also, you know, with Sirius XM, you can sample guys. You can go through and, and listen to guys on radio. And that goes for, obviously, for fo uh, football and basketball as well. But it, you're constantly learning. You got to be yourself. That's the biggest thing. And, you know, your influence or certain, maybe certain techniques or certain things that guys will – certain aspects that guys will point out during games. Oh, I hadn't, you know, I do that, but I should probably do that more. Yeah. You hear those kinds of things, you know, you know, how guys, you know, go through the roadmap, 
but uh, and and the thing about baseball, you know, when under normal circumstances, when we're not, when we're on the road, and, you know, guys are coming to our place. You know, you get the, you know, even if, if for a series, you're usually going to get a total, you know, down at the cage or in a booth, you get a chance to talk to guys for 10, 15 minutes a pop, and that's great. And you know, build up a lot of nice friendship. Like I said, I was talking to Marty Brenneman yesterday, and I worked with him on the Final Four on. NCAA radio for like three years, he and Brad Sham. And, they, and he became like a, he and Brad became like big brothers to me. And I would ask them questions and everything. And so now I'm in that position now where I've got, like my wife says, she says, you know, you have like almost a battalion of kids or, or younger guys around the country that call, right? Hey, can you listen to this tape? What do you think? And don't hold anything back. You know, that kind of, I said, that's just the way I did it. Don't hold back. If I you know, screw it up, let me know. And you know, I want to get better. And that's the other thing, too, that's I, I like about this business, like acting. I mean, you, if you listen to the great actors, you, know, you never stop learning, ever. And, and I'm interested in me being a Jersey guy, you know, not to jump around a little bit, but growing up listening to WFAN and, and reading about the early years and, and the story about how not a soul thought that idea would work of 24-7 sports radio pre-Mike and the Mad Dog. I think, well, Imus and Imus came and kind of jolted the station in a different direction. But you were there in the early years. And to see all of the guys that were there, to see how what they've gone on to accomplish is pretty incredible. And, and the amount of guys that were there in the early years that are now big names in the industry. Well, you got to remember, I predated FAN. I was on uh, WNBC. Uh, I started March 3rd of 1986. And I remember Francesca coming to me at one point. Hey, man, I like what you're doing. I'd like to maybe join in. And, you know, we remember we went up to TJ Tucker's at 59th and 1st and had lunch, had, you know, uh, I don't know, lunch and had some coffee or whatnot, talked about it because he was, he wanted, I, and he used it as leverage because I think there were some things that weren't going real well for him at, 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 uh, at FAN, but you know, wanted, and I, you know, I gave it a thought. Next thing, I'll, you know, he went his way and went my way, and then uh, FAN started July 27, 28 of '87. I remember when we were over at NBC, and I was still at 7:30 at midnight. Mike Breen was my, my producer, along with Dom Trinelli. Uh, we were uh, sports 24 hours, 24/7 sports. That's not going to make it. Uh, yeah, it did. And NBC closed. First week in October, I just come of uh, '88. I just come back from the Olympics in Seoul, and so '88. And then I went over there. I did a few fill-ins, and then they put me together with Ed Coleman in September, Labor Day, thereabouts of '89. And we did. They were, Eddie and I worked together for about three and a half years. Mike and Chris started the same day. They blew up in the evenings. We had Imus in the morning. We had a nice little thing going there, and that's been a generational change now. I don't think. I think John Minko was the last of that original group update guy, the last of the original group to leave. He just retired in the last year or so. So it's a whole new, it's a whole new crew over there, top to bottom. But uh, yeah, influential all over the country. I mean, uh, the fan. I mean, we. I was part. You know, I got there. You know, a year and a half after a year and a half after they started. But it's nice to be a part of that. And a lot of guys have done well. Yeah, Bob Shoes and Iron Eagle. Iron Eagle used to be. He was like a production assistant. And I remember when I was still in Temple football, I'd come back and say, I like, I like doing talk radio, but I love doing play-by-play. -play. I mean, I love, I mean, you just love it. If my first year at Temple, they went seven and four, and then they had nine, they went one and 10, two and nine, but I didn't care. And I and I used to talk about that all the time. 
and now you know I, I couldn't be happier for the success he's having. Um, yeah, it, it's been good. It's been to answer, you know, the long, short, a little short answer. It's been good to see how the guys have used that as a stepping stone. And speaking about Temple football, and that was some of the building blocks that you had for play-by-play, just how did everything you had done before, that being a newspaper writer, we talked about the TV, radio experience, doing some sportscasting, talk shows, how did that help you when you first started in play-by-play? I had done a little Bethany College in West Virginia where I went to school. After I played football for a year, I finished third in the conference and kickoff returns, running for my life, and I spent, said midway through that season, I'm not doing this again. Um and I knew I went there because it's a mass communication major. And so my sophomore year, I started doing uh, public address announcements. Play-by-play guy, as what we were sophomores, yeah, was a guy named Bob Orr, who you may have seen on CBS News, CBS News for like 30 years. He just retired a couple years ago. So he did that two years. And my senior, when I was a senior, he bagged. And I did, I did play-by-play for basketball and football. And that's where I got my start. And I always knew I wanted to get into it. And uh, so I had that as a background. So when I got the, the Temple job, I'd done one fill-in job. Howard David asked me to fill in for him once on a Princeton football game. And I said, this is it. You, know, you got to be kidding. I mean, anchoring sports talks. Uh, no, no, no. I, I need to be, I need to do play-by-play. And the Temple thing kicked it over the top. And oddly enough, at that time I was at FAN. Kaufman Astoria Studios out in Queens. The Cosby show was, in, was filmed or taped in the same building. Long story short, Bill's assistant used to listen to me, and he said it to a guy one day, I like that guy, that guy Dave Sim, blah, blah, blah. It turned out it was my brother-in-law. My brother-in-law talk, talks to me. I go meet Frank. Frank says he want to meet Bill. I said, yeah. A couple of weeks, I go see Bill, bring my son in. What thing you need? I said, I heard the Temple radio job might be up. Done. Two days later. Hello, David. This is Dr. Peter Lear, of course, from Temple University. Welcome to the family. Mr. Cosby speaks very highly of I do Temple in 1990. February 91 on my birthday, I'm doing a basketball game at ESPN. So I, I must have done something right doing Temple radio. And I'm, I was doing UAB at South Florida, at Tampa, on my birthday in 1991. And that's that, and that boom just took off from there. Yeah, and those you gotta, you gotta get the brakes and be ready to take them, man. Yeah, absolutely. And how much were those building blocks of your time at ESPN in the 90s, whether it was uh, the basketball opportunities? I know you did some football as well. Just how important was that TV experience, baseball as well? How important were those building blocks for everything that's followed in your career? Oh, no, I, exactly what they were. And I learned and, you know, made a few mistakes. They were taught, they, you know, they, uh, rolled with me and and I, I got I an unbelievable experience. I mean, and if, you know, it's great. The Big East started its own network and they worked in then ESPN, you know, started ESPN regional. So I was uh, 92, uh, was it 90, 90, 93, 94. I did the Big East game of the week syndicated around the country. And then I did, then I did, I did some big Mondays. I did a lot of, uh, a10, I got assigned A10. I worked with Billis was in 97. I think I was Billis's first uh, first partner. Same with Fran Fraschella. His I was his first partner. 
Uh, I mean, all these guys, I mean, it all starts going like this interweaving. I covered Fran when he was coaching at, uh, at Manhattan. Steve Lapis is now on TV. I covered him when he coached at Manhattan at Villanova. So it, it all, it's amazing how things work. I mean, uh, ESPN baseball, the 94 strike killed me. Uh, then, you know, channel two in New York for three years, they still allowed me to do basketball. So I was, I had, I had it made, I was doing anchoring at channel two and still doing play by play for ESPN that neither, there was no conflict. So it was great. The building blocks, it all, everything just starts going like that. And, and it's great. You learn, I've experienced a lot of very, very neat things in terms of the mechanics, uh, the performance of doing play by play. Um, the, the, the experience has been just phenomenal. It really has been. And at that point, you're doing network stuff. And, and I'm sure in the back of your, your mind, you want to be a team announcer and baseball is your passion. I'm sure you, you love the network stuff. But at one po- at what point did that itch come where, where you're saying, I, I, I want to be in baseball full yeah. time. I, I want to be the guy for a team in a market. Yeah, growing up in Philly, I mean, I was hoping I knew Harry, you know, Harry wasn't getting any younger. And I figured, you know, at some point, you know, there, there could be an opportunity there. I did 93, 94. Uh, uh, I did the B-Net games on, on ESPN with Larry Sorensen. Most of the games, I kept to work with Fred Lynn, Mike Lansing, Jerry Royce. Um, so we would go into, like, if the Yankees were playing Cleveland, our games would go into New York and Cleveland, um, which was great exposure. That's why I said 94, I got – the last game I, I did in 94 is with Jim Cott. And uh, that, that was an experience. What a great guy he is and a terrific broadcaster. So 94, I think it was 90, at some point in 94, I, I have a game in Philly. At that time, the, the, he's now, now passed on. Dave Montgomery, the president of the Phillies, I knew him because I'd gone to his, one of his baseball camps when I was in high school. So I call him up and say, hey, coach, I'm coming down to do a game. So I go down to see him at the bet. And uh, I said, this is perfect. He says, this would be great to be able to reintroduce you to, to uh, you know, to the marketplace. You're one of our own, yada, yada, yada. And I'm thinking, hey, I got a shot at the Phillies. Never materialized. And then he calls, then he calls me back in 01. This is some of the ups and downs you get in the business. In 01, or two, no, it was 99, he calls me. And I go down and do, he asked me to do a Sunday pregame show. So it says same thing. Chance of reintroduction to the market. Gets you in, gets you on the team. And I'm thinking, so I ruined two summers <laughs> driving up and down the turnpike, 99 and 2000. So one, I'm thinking, all right, let me get 20, 30 games. What the heck, you know? Didn't work out. Somebody put the kibosh on it. So flash forward 15, 16 years later, by the year or two before he passes, I'm play, we're playing the Phillies. And I get together with Montgomery and my, one of my coaches and a teammate, we play golf. And I said, coach. I was ready to run through a wall for you. What, 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 what's up with that? Bring me home. You know, I've been dying to come back to the East Coast. I already had a bunch of year, years with the Mariners, 10 years, I think. And he said, oh, it just, hey, yeah, it just didn't work out. But somebody in that organization put the kibosh on it. And I did, because I was ready to, move, you know, ready to move back to Philly. And uh, wow, it's just something to think, the crazy things that happened in your career. I mean, and hopefully... You know, if you uh, if you guys are lucky enough to be steady where you are and be happy where you are and make the money you want to make, God bless. Uh, I, I've I've had a gr- I am having I don't want to put it past tense 
I'm having a great run. And all the bouncing around I've done has been largely local with the exception of moving to Seattle. So I haven't, I've been pretty much based on everything I've done here is, has been here in New York. So now after years of, of frustration, I guess, of, of chasing that, that major league baseball gig, how does Seattle come about? What's that process like? And here you are now living your dream, maybe not in the area of the country you thought you'd be, but, uh, and you're quite literally the furthest away from where you maybe thought you'd <laughs> yeah. be quite yeah. literally, Yeah, no but then you got there. So, yeah. you know, what was it's that all like? good, man. It's all good. And, and, and you, if you guys, if you haven't experienced it, you will. Uh, it's the old saying about, it's not what you know, it's who you know. Ron Fairley retires. God rest his soul. He's passed away. Uh, so this would have been 06. And the guy, and again, my brother-in-law factors in this because he's a Syracuse guy. One of his guys from Lacuse that he worked in radio with, yada, 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 had been out of college, had been with the Mariners, then went to the Celtics, went back to the Mariners. At this point in 06, he's the VP of marketing. So I get a call from my brother-in-law. Hey, man. I'm told that my boy in Seattle says, you ought to put up for this job. Ron Fairley's retiring. I said, well, he did color. And so I just blew it off. And then he says, he calls back up with, hey, man, I need your stuff. I said, this is for a play-by-play job. He says, you'll have it. I've, I got everything together, FedEx the next day. This was right around Halloween of 06. Second Thursday in December of 06, I'm in Seattle for an interview. Go to Safeco Field, sitting around along in a boardroom with like eight, nine people around firing questions left and right, nailing it, nailing it, just like it. And to get out of Bethany, you have to go through these oral and written comprehensive. So I'd been through that. I've seen this movie before, right? Answering a question, I get the job I have to do. And he says, yeah, one more thing. Niehaus wasn't there. He was away in Hawaii. A couple of days after Christmas, I get a call. He basically talks to me. It's like a talking interview. I passed the test. That's how I got to the Mariners. It's crazy. I mean, it was a, you know, I'm looking for an East Coast, preferably an East Coast team. And but it's a baseball gig, man. And Tony Dungy, when I was doing doing uh, Tampa Bay Bucks preseason, I remember talking about wanting to get a baseball job. I love the football. I did it. Westwood won for 18 years, or whatever. And I'm not super religious. He is. I'm religious enough. But he, uh, he says, he says, you know how the Lord works, Dave? He says, you're going to be looking over here and it's going to come from over there. And I, I called him. I said, coach, that's exactly what happened. Didn't see it coming. And I, here I am going into year 16 with the Mariners. It's crazy. It's, it's crazy. Just crazy. Yeah, you can like want to map out stuff, but things are just going to happen and you got to ride with them. Got to love that. And uh, you've gotten to do a lot of Mariners baseball on television, of course, in that run. And I go back and forth between doing some radio for Alabama baseball and then a TV side on SEC Network Plus. And, you know, radio, I'm used to describing everything. TV, it's a real struggle for me sometimes to learn how to caption everything properly. Just what's the right balance you feel like as a TV play-by-play announcer for baseball? Yeah, it just as Marty Glickman said, as was it was, I guess he didn't even know it, but the late, great John Madden, made it so that on TV, the color analyst is the star. And you got to set him up. You do your nuts and bolts and then tee him up. On radio, you're the captain of the ship because, you know, your audience is depending on you to be the eyes, ears, nose of, you know, the century 
person for that. On TV, you know, you, you have time to, to probably have a little bit more time to tell stories. Uh, and I try not to go wall to wall sound. Uh, you got to learn to lay out. There's a certain amount of laying out you got to do on, on radio. And certainly the, the best story I've ever heard was Aaron hits the hit 715. Mr. Scully hit somebody told me, I, I think it's true. I'm not asking. Supposedly he got up, went to the back of the booth, poured himself a coffee, and there was silence for 35 seconds, 40 seconds, while the director took all the shots. And he had, what were you going to say? And I thought that it, even if it's not true, it's a great way to think about how to do TV because it's a, it's a director, it's a director, technical and producer. It's their baby right there. And you're just along for a ride. And, you know, you just, you gotta, you really, you know, every picture tells a story, don't it? I mean, uh, that's how you have to, that's how you have to play it. And I enjoy going back and forth. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting. And it's, it's apples, as I like to say, it's horseshoes and hand grenades because they're two different ways of doing things. And, you know, you have to, uh, you know, there's, you know, you know here's Mitch Hanniger having a good day, low ball one. Whereas on radio, here comes Mitch Hanniger, it's two for four today. He's hit the ball hard a couple places around, you know, uh, around the field. And Smith goes into his line, here's the first pitch. You know, you got to describe all that TV, you don't have to say all that. And I mean, it really does come down. And once you get into the rhythm of both, you, you're able to, it's almost like you flip a switch. When I go on TV, I, I don't feel that I'm over-describing. And I, and I know when I go to radio, I have to over-describe. And, you know, on, on, on radio, outfield, a couple of steps towards left, the infield, a little bit towards uh, to the right side. Uh, even with the bag at third is Seeger. Here's the two-two pitch, outside ball, th- you know, ball three. And on deck is, uh, you know, is is uh, is Kyle Lewis, right-hand hitter is 0 for four, struggling, hit the ball hard. Here's a three-two pitch to Hanniger. Here we go. Here it comes. Boom. You know, that's what you're doing. You got to. It's a continuum, and it's it's being going back and forth keeps you sharp. I really find it for me. I mean, it keeps you sharp for both. Because, you know, when you go over here, this is what you do. When you go over here, this is what you do. And then with baseball as well, uh, people get superstitious about different things, especially when it revolves around no hitters. And you've been around perfect games before, whether on a national broadcast or for the Mariners as well. Just how have you found that it's best to handle big moments like that, especially when baseball history is on the line? Well, first of all, when it comes to no hitters, I want whoever's in the audience to know what the hell is going on whether I'm on radio or TV. And if it did, and I, Tim McCarver told me there's a great anecdote. So we're in Chicago, I played the White Sox. And must be, so this must be a Friday night because he's going to do the Saturday game. And I'd met Tim once or twice. I and mean, he was one of my favorite guys growing up. He and Joe Torrey are my favorite catchers because I was a catcher in high school. They were my guys in the 60s before Bench came along. So I said, hey, why are you going to see blah, blah, blah? I said, hey. What's this I hear about you talking about a no-hitter? Talking to you, say it was a no-hitter. And I'm thinking, oh, really? We're going to have to do this with Tim McCarver? Are you freaking kidding me? I said, really? Really? He says, ah, just messing with you. You did the right thing. He says, I, and he tells me the story. He says, one time I come home from a game, I pop on, I pop on the tube, and I got a game on the background. I'm unpacking. I'm doing all kinds of things. Now we get to the ninth inning, and the guy says, 
you know, so-and-so's got a no-hitter. He says, well, when I joined in the sixth inning, if I'd known it was a no-hitter, I'd have sat down and watched the game. All right? Those superstitions have nothing to do with us in a broadcast booth. I got an argument with, with uh, Ozzie Smith on the golf tournament. One time. No, you're not supposed to say that. I said, come on, Oz, give me a break. I said, if that were the case, my team would never, if I had that much power and influence, the Mariners would have won about eight world championships by now, if you're going on about what I say. Are you kidding me? Um, uh, what was it? My first year, Daisuke Matsuzaka pitching in, uh, for the Sox up there, cold night. Felix is on the mound for us. And Felix has got, who was it? Felix was dealing that day. Felix outdueled him, had a no-no late. And I remember when I was switching from, in those days when Niehaus was still alive, I did the first three innings on radio with Riz. I did like color on radio. Fourth inning, we'd switch and I'd do TV play-by-play. So on the switch, I see Larry Stone, a columnist in Seattle. He says, Sims, you're getting killed on, uh, getting killed on Twitter because you mentioned a no-header. And I said, you know, very politely, you know, what they could do to themselves uh, because of that, you know. Um, and people now know in Seattle, I'm going to call it. I had Felix's Perfecto, April 12th of 20, was it April 20th, 2012? Uh, no, no, Umber, Umber. They're perfecto against us. Felix, August of 2012, perfecto. Iwakuma against Baltimore in 15, I think it was. And then we, we had no hit twice within like 12 days this past season. I'm t- that's part of the story. I mean, I know from, you know, from talking to, to Marty Brandeman, talking to Skelly, you got to tell the story. And that's what's going on. The guy's throwing a no-hitter. I don't I mean, it's not fourth grade and you don't want somebody, you don't want, you know, a little Vinny next door to you, you know, next, next aisle, you know, cribbing off you. It had nothing to do with that. You owe it to the audience to tell them, hey, this guy is breezing. He's got eight strikeouts, hasn't walked anybody. He's got a, he's got a perfecto going as we pitch it as he goes into the sixth inning. I, as a consumer, put yourself in that position as a consumer. You tune in the game and the dude doesn't tell you it's a no-hitter. He's doing you a disservice. And nothing, you know, superstition, I get it in the boat uh, down in the dugout. Yeah, but uh, I've heard A.J. Brzezinski talk about when Burley threw his. Burley wanted to talk to him, but everybody was avoiding him. But Burley wanted to talk to me. Yeah, I got a no-hitter going. Yeah, you know, come on. But some, you know, some guys that they believe – Hardly. And I don't know why fans are so hung up on that. I, I just doesn't make sense to me. You can, you're depriving, uh, you know, well, you, to say that there haven't been any hits and doing all that sly coy nonsense. Hey, he's got a no-no going. Get over it. That's the I-95 coming at you. You know what I'm saying? It's just, that's right. In Jersey, we talk with our with our hands Absolutely. too. Absolutely, come on. I have some of that, Dave. Come well, on. now on TV, they have it on the lower third. If somebody's throwing a no hitter through like seven and a third, it's on the actual scorebook now. When it never even guess what? That. You're getting it on your phone. You're getting the push notifications too now. There you go. Yeah. So don't give me this. So that's why I don't buy this nonsense. But you can't say get out of here. Right. Let, let me ask you this: in terms of a prep side. Dave and, and baseball can be grueling just, and grueling. We all put it in context, right? We're not doing construction work. We're not doing, you know, things that actually are physically manually grueling, but when you're every single day and, and you're going from Seattle to Texas to then New York, how do you make sure one you're, you're, you're rested, you're getting your prep in. What are some things that you need to get in prep wise? How far ahead are you working ahead? 
I'm sure there's a lot of time management that goes on, especially in the dog days of a baseball season. First of all, you got to love it. That's the biggest thing. And if you love it, you do the work, you don't think about it. Um, and I like under normal, <laughs> under normal circumstances, uh, I, I go to see whoever our manager is. I've, good Lord, I've had a lot of managers in 16 years, 15 years. Um, hear what he has to say. If I run into coaches, hey, give me, I need 30 seconds. I go in the clubhouse. Hey, what you got for me today? What's going on? What was that last night? What were you thinking about last night? Hey, congratulations on that last night. Hey, how you feeling? What's going on? It's part of the deal. Do the same thing over in the other clubhouse. And after a while, you know, haven't been around a while. A lot of guys that, you know, a lot of, <laughs> which Michael Conforto said, I grew up watching you. So, I mean, you know, you get a lot of that. So that makes it a hell of a lot easier. And ditto the, the managers. I remember going into Buddy Bell's office. Hey, Buddy Dave said, I know who you are. How are you? I watch you every night. How are you doing? And uh, Bob Buecher, one time I went to uh, introduce him. I know who the blank you are. Sit down. Good to see you. How are you? So I've been around that a lot of, so a lot of people know, know who you are. So it's a heck of a lot easier now going in and say, you know, and Lord knows you get enough notes, but the, the, for me is the inter the personal interaction, look at guy in the eye, dude, you're hot. Great, dude. You're, you're not hot. What's up. How you feeling? What's going on? What's happening? That's the prep the, the notes and whatnot. You can, you can paralyze yourself with all the notes. You can absolutely freaking paralyze yourself. It's the stuff that the fans at home can't get. You know, I'm talking to, to you know, James Paxson about, you know, hey, I got a new dog today. And, you know, boy, you know, my wife and I, it's been an adjustment, blah, blah, blah. And we move in a new house. I mean, those are the kind of background stories. You know, he's got this weighing on his head as he's getting ready to pitch against the Red Sox, which knocking the crap out of the ball. I mean, those are the kind of insights you want. I mean, you can, and, and I don't believe, I understand analytics. I like them to a point. But Granny in Bothell, Washington, does not give a damn about 98% of the analytics. Grandma doesn't care. And, 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 our, and in the Major League Baseball, our audience skews 55 and largely skews older. Now, I know that the younger generation is heavy into, into the analytics. But, I mean, what's the score? Who's hot? Who's not? Who's pitching? What's coming up next? Read your spots. I mean, it's, this is not a, a, a class on everything analytics. I'll use them every now and then. The producer throws up some full screens that, that are educational, and I like some of this stuff. But I, I am not, you know, fully committed to going to having to explain. I don't have time. There's a game going on. You know, there's a game going on. If you're into the analytics, they're there for you online. Go throw yourself in. God bless. But, I, I, you know, people, you know, they want to, you know, they want to hear Roger describe a home run Bama you know Bama you know is killing Auburn or something that's what they want to know but they don't care about weighted runs created come on yeah I don't know if Bama has ever killed Auburn in baseball I don't know how good Auburn <laughs> is in baseball but uh, that's right. well back in the day right <laughs> they beat him in football so that's all that matters right um storytelling wise uh, I'm always fascinated by great storytellers on the air obviously Vince Scully is the gold standard yes but how much of when you tell stories is from mental recall as opposed to, okay, I'm going to jot down bullet points because I want to make sure factually I have certain things right. How do you, how do you go about telling stories? Whatever works for you. Whatever, I mean, there are certain things. That, remember, Gary Cohn from the Mets told me, he says, you know, now that you have, and I got this, I called him and I, you know, I got the job. And he says, well, it's going to be so much better for you because you have one team already covered. It's your team. You know your guys. You're with them every day, breathing, you know, 
same air flying with them. So all of you're going to retain so much of that, the interaction, wait and get on a plane. Hey, you are white, blah, blah, blah. You see them in the bar or whatever. Uh, but I, I do, I do keep a, I don't have one with me, but I keep one of those black, uh, black books. It's an oversized notebook. And I'm always, I always have it with me because you're not going to remember everything, but like to your point, you know, a bullet point or just a key phrase that will, that I can have it there in the sixth inning and the game slows down or if there's an injury or something, something. And I've got a couple, you know, uh, Scott service. He said, you know, we, we, we were, the game plan was to look for this guy's curveball, fastball is uh, okay. But the curveball is where he's trying to get you out and got to hit the fastball, you know, stuff like that. And, and I like to ask, you know, a comps, like I'll ask Scott or some of the coaches, although, you know, we got a lot of scout, uh, uh, we got a lot of coaches this year who don't have major league experience, but over the years, we've had guys, Edgar Martinez among, among them. And, and again, asking for what they remember, ask, you know, how's this guy compared to that guy, that kind of stuff. Like you love talking about old time stuff. At least for me, I'm old enough. I'm a lot older than you guys. And I've seen, you know, I've lived through a lot uh, of baseball history. Plus I've probably, I've watched hours upon hours of, you know, doc documentaries and, and I can remember as a kid, as a Philly, you know, rain out, the Phillies have been a rain delay now. Let's go to rain out theater and, you know, that, that, here's the highlights for the 1932 World Series. I gobbled all that stuff up as a kid. Plus, I grew up in a household where my dad was, you know, crazy baseball fan, Jackie Robinson. You know, after my dad is probably my biggest hero and one of my biggest heroes. And so I, I lean on all, a lot of that stuff. But to your point, um, it's amazing how much you re you'll you'll be amazed how much you retain and it's for me for me i mean everybody's everybody's different but i for me i i, I have to write it i went to catholic school so i gotta write that stuff down i gotta <laughs> i gotta write that stuff down as, as a little ah, but there it is key in the ignition and that that's how you get rolling well, of course, I'm probably not the biggest Westwood One fan that's on this podcast. Kyle, of course, is that guy. Uh, he loves it. I love it as well, listening to it. But uh, you got to do Westwood One for a long time, whether it was the NFL or college basketball, among other assignments. Just how did you enjoy that time cool. on Westwood One? And how much uh, do you love football and basketball on the radio? What's most important? Oh, to man, those it's so good. And I got to work with James Lofton. This became like, it's become like family. Uh, I worked, boy, on radio. I worked with James probably the longest consistently. Doc Walker, John Riggins. I did a game with uh, the now already since passed away, uh, Dan Reeves, Danny Green. Uh, oh, what's the boy's name? With uh, oh, oh Tony Tony Baselli, who's I think Tony's really good, uh, and who's the punt returner up in Buffalo, the little guy that. Uh, oh God, I can't remember eighty nine. Oh, I think it was now. God, I'm getting old. But Steve I Tasker? Yeah, Steve Tasker. Yeah, Steve Tasker. Games with him, John Dockery, a lot of great guys. Uh, down at Tampa, Beasley Reese. Oh, right, Jaws. I did games at Jaws preseason for, for a lot of years. I did, with, I did Eagles preseason package, four or five years with Tampa Bay. Absolutely loved it. And with James, I'll never forget, he, for years I, I didn't go down on the field, an NFL game beforehand. But when James got there, all right, come on, let's go down the field. Met a lot of great guys. Traveled the country. I got to do, I think, a total of seven or eight conference championship games and about 10 Pro Bowls. Never got to do a Super Bowl, but did a lot. I had I did a lot of Brady Manning uh, matchups, uh, Brady and Rodgers, 
mean, I saw all the great quarterbacks. I get Favre. I saw Favre a bunch. I saw Favre just the one of the worst throws a, a Hall of Famer could ever make. Running right, throwing back across his middle, picked off down in, uh, when he was with Minnesota, picked off by uh, New Orleans. And Minnesota should have won that game and gone to the Super Bowl. would have been a great story. But I absolutely loved it. And then basketball, I mean, I saw – Oh, God, so many good ones. I mean, George Mason beat Connecticut in 06. I hosted courtside uh, host of the Final Four on radio and for like three, four years. I saw Duke come from, from nowhere to beat Maryland at the Metrodome. And I, it was like, it was almost, I've, Maryland had like this entire side of the, of the Metrodome and they had their fans out a number of Duke fans. And I never heard so many people get so quiet so quickly and mourn after Duke had come from behind the beat. Oh God, I'm glad they didn't have anything. I'm glad there was no Jonestown there. It could have been a problem. Uh, a lot of great games. It, it, that was a fabulous experience. And, and that's, that's where I got the work. I think that helped a lot doing baseball on radio because you got to describe, you know, football, football, basketball that many years. The discipline of doing it on radio. And as Marty and Marty Glickman always said, and I knew this, but boy, he hammered it home. Score, you know, time and score, score and time. Which way is the ball going? Don't tell me near side. Tell me near side left, far side right, or vice versa. Between the hashes, outside the numbers. Give me the field geography. It's critically important I mean, for me. And I know, as I say it all the time, as a consumer, Kevin Harlan does a good job of that. Uh, um, a man up at Wayne Larrabee with the Packers is very good with field geography. I'm really good. Uh, and I, to me, that is a big part of it. Just can't. And, and I want to know for me, the way I did it, every play, what's the formation? If you can, what's the defense? In? Uh, near side, if there's a far side to the right or left. Um, wind, temperature. All of those. You, and you know what? You can't get tired of saying it because people are constantly clicking on and off. They're in the car. They're in and out of the car. You know, if they're if they're on, if, if they have the radio on and they're in their home, they got a TV on. So they're only half listening to you. So. I, I, I just I threw myself into I just loved it. I just loved it. And uh, I did the turn at the last. Seven, eight years, I guess I did the tournament. We had to do all the games. When I first started doing, they would only come to you the way they set it up. There'd be certain featured game. Everybody would get a featured game. But you had to be on site like that first day when you have the four games. You do cut-ins. Well, after it was a merger or something, whatever, got to a point where you had to do all four games on radio, which is different from doing all four games on TV. I did 93, 94, 94, 95 on TV, CBS. And then on Westwood, you want to talk about a day or a week and you talk about prep like i'm obsessive about my prep i mean it's just so that first day of the tournament is just ridiculous you got eight teams and i remember let's see i did that i would take it i would take leave from spring training once i got the mariner job and i'll be like and you're just grinding. And now everything, it's even easier now than it was then because you can get everything aligned. But then you were waiting for the facts to come in, yada, yada, yada. But a fabulous experience. Fabulous. Met so many, I got to know so many guys. I mean, Izzo, 
I already knew Coach K, knew Patino already. I mean, I, I got to see Muhammad Ali one time. He was, my wife said, at halftime of the game at Phoenix Regional Final, Patino's at Louisville. Remember when and Billy was at Florida and he and, and Rick beat him in Phoenix? And to my left, about 30 feet down, was Muhammad Ali. I was like, oh, I didn't get a chance to meet him because I couldn't get up and walk over. But it was, I had met him once before when I was Daily News. But uh, yeah, man, it's great. And speaking yeah. about prep uh, with football, how would you organize uh, your spot charts for football? Would you do it by hand, do it by computer, use a service? Hand, how hand. Like I said, I'm with the Catholic school. I got to do it by hand, pal. I got to, <laughs> that's what I'm used to doing. I don't have any ex uh, examples of football nearby. But um, but uh, I, I use, you know, I don't know. If I got a green screen here, so I don't know if this is going to show up or not. But, you know, I, I got, it's not going to show up. But wait a minute. Uh, you know what I can do? Uh, well, whatever. Just uh, take my word for it. I, it. There's the there's the deal there. And I fill that baby up. And my wife is saying, how much of that do you use? I say, well, to quote Mr. Scully, if you use like 10% of it, that's 15% of it. That's a lot. But I said, when you have a blowout, you got to have something referred to. And I've had, what I've done, five games, six games, and I think three of them have blowouts. I had a 40-pointer at Villanova. So that's where, you know, you were talking, we were talking earlier about working with certain guys. Spernarkle and I have done a million blowouts, and we know we go way back. So you know, same with Raph, we're able to tell stories about the old days and all that kind of stuff. But I, I uh, football wise, um, I started out with a small, you know, like a little bit bigger than eight and a half by 11. But then I found that there was so much information. So I went to, a, I went to boards that were like this wide, this high. I mean, I had a big carrying case with them for them. So now when I laid them out, it's easy for me to see. And it's easy for, if you have a spotter, it's easy for the spotter to the point that you know do that whole thing and that worked really well for me for a lot of years if you um i probably have some of the old boards if you ever need boards i got a bunch of old ones i don't know if i'll be doing football again but i got a million of them upstairs if you need anything yeah broadcasters never get rid of of that prep work you when you put that much work into it and it's like an art project it's it becomes your baby you never i have all of them are down on my floor right here my basketball chart just stacked up to here, I got all a million colors. Hey, you know, you got the bag, the utility bag with every color known to man. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No question. So yeah. this is a, a question in terms of when you, because you're in the basketball mode now, and when you yeah. go to shoot arounds, I assume you're doing the game in, in person or you've done games in person. I've been lucky. The five games I've done, and I've got two more this week, um, uh, all in person. I've not had to do remotes. Um mm -hmm. And baseball, I think, would be the easiest sport to do remote. I can't imagine doing a basketball. And I can tell when guys are remote because, man, they are just – their weight, you know. Yeah. You can you can feel a pause. Is that someone – you know, make sure – yeah, that is him. You know, one of those kind of deals, you know. So, mm -hmm. um, But yeah. in terms of, like, Dave, shoot-arounds, how much are you asking questions of the coach or how much do you let the analysts let that be – their spot where they're asking how much are you prodding for stories? I just, yeah, that's a great, that's a very good question. Um, I try to let them take the, I, I usually do the high Hawaiians and, you know, if I know the guy, like, Hey, I was one kids, blah, 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 blah. Last time I say, Hey, you know, and, and, and they get a couple of things and then, you know, let's spin our collect those guys. And then I, I'll chime in, you know, either piggyback follow up on something they may have asked. Uh, but if I have something kind of concrete, 
like like I said, so many of these guys that you know, when I was doing 40, 50, 55 basketball games, I knew everybody at 810 in the Big East and parts of the ACC. So I mean, I could pick up the phone for a lot of a lot of these guys and 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 talk to them about that before I even get to the shooter out. But to answer your question, uh, I, I sort of I sort of let you know let the analyst because you know I like I said I get the nuts and bolts and you know in and out of timeouts, read the spots and all that kind of stuff. And then generally, I, I like I like to know find out nicknames or anything you know, recruiting stories uh, and their fam, family, you know, any relatives, you know that would be relatable to the audience or they may hey, I remember his uncle or so oh, yeah, I remember that guy back in, you know, that kind of stuff. Those guys, those are always fascinating. Any kind of people's stories. And um, when you get tapes from young broadcasters, I think there's a similar trend in some of the mistakes we all make when we first start this. And the longer we do it, the more we understand what, what sounds right, what's correct on the air. What are some of the, mo- the, the common mistakes, Dave, that you hear from, young broadcasters, whether it's tapes that you get in your email, are there, is there a common thread there? Um, the last few I've listened to on, uh, that have been radio tapes, not describing enough. I'm sitting here screaming and my wife can, I have to close the door because my wife can tell what I'm doing. I'm like, where's the damn ball? <laughs> Which way are you going? Um, what's the score? What's the time? You know, what's how's this game? What's what's on the line here? What's the place in the standings? Uh, it's not just you know, hand off the Joe, hand off the Jones. He's gonna go 35 30. I said, I don't need a counting, I can count by five, you know, 30, 25, 20, 15, 25. Hell, I can do that. How did it get there? What was the formation they were? You don't, I don't hear that. A lot of guys, you know, I, I think some guys get bored. With, I mean, it's, I'm sorry, but it's repetitive. I mean, for three hours, you got to do the same. You're doing the same thing over and over. You got to, you have to make it fun for yourself. You have to challenge yourself to find a different way or, uh, you know, a, a synonymous way to say the same thing over and over again. And, and, and it shouldn't, it shouldn't be a chore. And I think guys get bored with that. Um, the other thing, I, you know, obviously you want to hear pitch and tone of the voice, voice quality. That's that's key. Uh, and how if if they even put it on the tape, you know, how they set up, how they relate to the, uh, their analysts, whoever's doing color. I'm, I'm always curious about that. And and I look at it, I, you know, I've, I've never been an executive producer, but I think I have a pretty good idea what they're looking for. Uh, so uh, if, if I hear if I don't hear some of that criteria being met. You know, I let the guy know, dude, you know, it's like, tell me the effing score, man. You got to tell me where to, I mean, come on, what are you doing? You know, it's like, uh, and I also like, I like, you know, as Marty Glickman always said, which way is the wind blowing? All right. What kind of turf are we on? How big a crowd do we have? I mean, give me a panel, you know, they always talk about a word picture. Give me a word picture. What's going on? What you're looking at? And, and, and that's a major requirement. And, and I think, uh, and I'm amazed as I go around sometimes, um, like if I've got a couple of minutes or if I remember to do it, I put on Sirius XM and I'll just float through and listen to college games, football and basketball. And there's a lot of cats have been, there's a lot of, there's a lot of dudes in the NFL that don't give you that. It's scary. And guys I know, and guys I like, and I've heard of the games like, whoa, dude, come on, man. What are you doing? 
So it's not, you know, it's not just, you know, guys who are just starting out. There's cats. And, and, and you know what that, that, to me, that tells me that whoever's in charge of broadcasting is not paying attention or doesn't care. That, you know, you're not getting that kind of, I, I, I just feel like I was very fortunate to, you know, be under, be influenced by Marv, who was taught by Marty, and I got taught by Marty, and just, the, you know, I remember John Rooney, when I did some, and I did some work with John Rooney, and he said, you can always tell the New York guys, because they're, they, they're right on that stuff. Yeah. How about when you're evaluating a TV tape for a play-by-play announcer? What are the things that sticked out to you? What are the criteria you're kind of grading them on when you're uh, taking Energy, how much fun is in his voice? You know, I hear some guys, and this goes for radio too. I told somebody recently, I said, I'll never forget this woman told me that uh, ESPN used to have guys, have us, everybody from the whole country, all their announcers, producers, directors, and we'd go to Bristol and they'd do seminars. And I said, if you want Andrea Kirby to like evaluate, you know, give me an analysis of your tape, go downstairs. And so I go down, hi, how are you? She pops in a tape of mine. It's me and Raph. And I'll never forget this. You know, they go, uh, what was it? exterior shot, title card, come inside, you're on camera, smile. Well, when it was, when I came on camera, I had already gone, hi, everybody, welcome, Dave. So I did it before I came on camera, so I wasn't smiling. So she stopped the tape. She says, do you like what you do? I said, like, I said, I freaking love what I do. So let's roll this back. She rolls back the tape. So when I come on camera, I'm like, I'm already into the game. I'd like, I was so geeked. I was ahead of myself. I said, look at Raph. A smile on his face, welcoming. And you're sitting there going, so I wait till the director says, you're on, you know, three, two, one, smile, you're on camera. Sometimes I give it an extra beat to make sure I'm on camera. Then I go, hi, everybody. Good to have you with us. Dave Sims and Bill Raftery with you here at Seton Hall. We got a big game today. I want to see that energy. I want to see the excitement. I want to get the, the feel that for the next two hours, this might be the most important thing and the most fun thing you're going to do. And if you project that, now you're off to a good start. The tr- you're happy. Your analyst is happy. The truck is happy. If you get a crappy game, who cares? It, it, you're fine. But if you get a good game, now everybody, it's, it, it's great. And I think, you got to be able to relate to the audience. You got to have fun. I'm having fun and I want you to have fun. And you have to project that. I mean, again, that, it's fun in games. That's why we, you know, that's, we're doing this as opposed to brain surgery. You know what I mean? So it's, uh, it, this is the fun place. The, it's a respite for people. It's an escape for people. So you got you to gotta keep that in mind. Speaking of fun, one of the great assignments you have is being the co-host of Basketball and Beyond with Coach K on Sirius XM. And just got to ask, what have you learned from Coach K? We hear so much wisdom from him every time he speaks. So I imagine getting to sit down with him uh, each and every week has been a lot of fun over the last few years. And maybe it'll continue beyond even his coaching days. I don't know if he's made a decision on that, but it really is a unique show. Yeah, thank you. When they uh, Duke was here in right before Thanksgiving, went over it was a late kind of day. They were at a 9.30 game, and we waited about a half hour, and it was Mike, they went. John Jackson, his right-hand guy, came and got me, and I went back with my son. We talked to him for about a half hour. His wife was there. And one I said, hey, I ain't seen you in like three years in person. You know, it was great catching up with him. And he said, and I said, you know, you're not going to – are you going to 
is this going to be it for the basket uh, for the show? He says, heck no, I'm going to keep doing it and broaden the horizon. I said, that's great. Um, I learned about a lot about the culture, discipline, teamwork, uh, honesty, um, preparation. He, uh, and he's been great. Like I said, I go back to him when he was in Army and I was at the Daily News. I remember called for covering a couple of games. He was at the luncheons all the time. And I want to say, oh, four or five, uh, before I got the Mariner job, my wife and I were doing media coaching for D1 programs, football, basketball. And um, he had us down there a couple of times. And I remember the second time he said, uh, John Jackson, his right hand guy, said, Hey, do you have any restrictions that would keep you from doing a national radio show on XM radio? This is before the merger. I said, Well, oh, we got it. He said, Well, they want one coach to do this job and, at this gig, and, and you can have anybody you know, go for anybody in sports, anybody in business. That's what I'd be honest about because you know, we've had CEOs on, we've had Martin Dempsey, who was at one point the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. Um, and we've had you know baseball, football, basketball, NASCAR guys on, and it's been great. And, and the thing that's great, you know, he's he's such an icon. And so when the producer calls up and says, Hey, I'm calling for coach uh, Mike Shashevsky, I'd like to have you on the show. It's pretty rarely if I ever get that turned down. So fifth, what are we, 17th year now? So I mean, Saban. We get the best. I think we get the best out of Belichick. Anybody could see on tape. I mean, yeah, he's won all the Super Bowls. We get him on. Hey, Dave, boy. Hey, so that's been great. He, um, Mike's got so much influence, and has been like super duper successful. And it's just been a pleasure being around, especially in light, especially recently with Zoom, because now. We do a lot of the interviews. I mean, obviously it's an audio, it's a radio program, but to make the connection, we do a lot of Zoom. So we can really interact even more now. And who do we have on the other day? We had, we've had Chris Collinsworth on recently. Uh, we had J.B. Bickerstaff, the Cavalier, Cleveland Cavaliers, third best record in the Eastern Conference had him on. We've had a whole bunch of guys, but having it on Zoom makes it even better. And really it's been terrific. He, he deserves all the accolades that he's had, put it that way. Same can be said for you, Dave. We've just really enjoyed having you join us today on Broadcaster Hour, sharing experiences from a long, great career that you've had, and we hope uh, many more great years to come for you in Seattle and all the other assignments that you have. Just thank you so much for joining us today. Roger and Kyle enjoyed it. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it, and uh, continued success to you guys, and all the best to you. All right. Our thanks to Dave Sims. Thanks to all of you for watching Broadcaster Hour.